0: John 3, we're looking at the remainder of the chapter here, which is verses 31 through 36. And I want to, um, just again by way of reminder, give you what is our our, uh, key, key verse here, key passage. And that is from chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. So I'll read that before I go to the John 3 text chapter 20, verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in His name. So there John gives us his purpose in writing. The book... It is so that, we may, so that we may believe in the name of Jesus and gives us the main theme, of course, of the book, which is salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's, he uses those uh, some, some terms interchangeably. So, when, you know, I just said salvation. When you, when you see the mention of life here, that's what he's talking about. That is salvation, so that we may have life in His name. Eternal life is a phrase that he uses often. We're going to see it in the text here in chapter 3. So, with that in mind, John's purpose, he, he writes these things so that we may believe and so that believing we may have life in His name. John 3, 31. Now, these next few verses, um, 31 through 36, uh, we're, we're back to uh, what, what again is a... Uh, uh, comment by the by the author here I think uh, the apostle John, so we saw the same thing in verses sixteen in fact verses sixteen through thirty six you you've got uh, uh, well first John commenting the apostle John commenting then then his account of um, the question that we talked about this morning presented by the uh, the disciples of John the Baptist, and then more comment here by the uh, apostle John so At the end of Jesus' discussion with with Nicodemus, which ends in verse 15, John interjects his comments, the Apostle John, the evangelist, interjects his comments in 16 through 21. And then we have the account we read this morning, verses 22 through 30, uh, and and, uh, that finishes out with the words of John the Baptist, and now uh, that ending in verse 30, and now verses 31 through 36 uh, John the Evangelist again interjects his, his uh, meditations here, his comments. So, um, verse 31. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard. Yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God. For he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. There is no life outside of faith in Jesus Christ. There is no life outside of obedience to Jesus Christ. Now, these comments that I just read um, kind of explain why John the Baptist says what he says. Now, I know it gets confusing sometimes. I try to be careful not to say John said, (laughs) because we've got two different Johns. Uh, here that we're working with. So I I try to be careful to say John the Baptizer um, or, you know, uh, the Apostle John, or if you hear me say the Evangelist, I'm talking about the Apostle John. He's commonly called the Evangelist uh, because he's the one writing the Evangel here, the the good news, uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So, John the Baptizer, John the Baptist, finished his remarks in verse 30 by saying this, He must increase, but I must decrease. That is, Jesus must increase, and I, John the Baptist, must decrease. Now, that's what we talked about this morning. There seemed to be, uh, among John's disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, there seemed to be some concern that maybe Jesus was getting more attention than John at this point. And so John the Baptist is responding by saying, essentially, that's good news. That's the way it's supposed to work. That's the way I want it to work. That's the way I want it to continue to work. He must increase and I must decrease. So like we talked about this morning, John is understanding his role. John the Baptist is understanding his role as one who proclaims Christ, points to Christ, prepares the way for Christ, but he is not the Christ. He is not seeking his own glory. He is not seeking... Though he he does have disciples here, he has followers, people that he is training, his ultimate objective is not to make disciples for himself. He wants to make disciples for Christ, which is our, our objective as well. In the Great Commission, Jesus tells us, make disciples... But the idea is not that we, you know, we, we run out and make a bunch of disciples for Fred and Bill and Bob and Skip and you know whoever else it is. Um, no, it's that we make disciples for Christ. We do, we disciple people. We do the discipling, but we we in it may sound kind of strange, but in our discipling, we make disciples for Christ. At least that's the objective, and that's what John is doing. He's not troubled by the fact that Jesus is getting attention. That's exactly what he wants. So he says he rejoices, just like a a best man would rejoice over the marriage of the bridegroom. John says he's rejoicing at the sound of the voice of Jesus, the true bridegroom. And then he gives that principle. He must increase, I must decrease. Now, John, the apostle, the evangelist, begins his comments in verse 31, And he's giving some explanation on that. He who comes from above is above all. So in other words, you could think of it this way. He must, that is Jesus must increase because He's above all. This is the way that it has to be. This is the way that it must be. He must become greater, which is what John is saying. He he must become greater. I must become inferior or less and that, that, is, that has to take place of necessity because of who Jesus is. He comes from above, and He's above all. His origin is, is, is different than ours. John, remember uh, earlier on, John said, um, He's before me. And that's coming from a man who is six months older than Jesus. And yet he says, Jesus is, was, was before me. So his origin is from above. And, and like I said this morning, a lot of times you'll notice the, the, the same language. And John, by the way, is a very, uh, the evangelist John. John the Apostle is a very simple writer. I mean, his, his vocabulary is... Uh, is, is um, Limited here. And by that, I don't mean you know that he was stupid or something. I mean he he has he has kept it limited. The Holy Spirit uh, kept it limited in in, in uh, inspiring him to write. Um, other other New Testament writings, you know, can be a, uh, quite a bit more complicated. Yeah, that even comes across in the, in the English, of course. I mean, compare, for example, the writing style of the Book of Hebrews to the Book of John. If you find it to be quite different. So he uses a lot of uh, uh, the same things, the same terminology. So, for example, the word above here is the same one that Jesus was using when he was talking about the new birth, being born from above. Born from above. That's a, that's a different origin uh, in that particular birth than our natural birth. Well, now he's talking about um, Jesus as opposed to, uh, to John the Baptist and, and, of course, any other human being. He is from above. Jesus is from above, and is above all. So he must increase. He must be shown to be superior. He who is who is of the earth, on the other hand, belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. So there's the contrast. And it's not um, when he says earthly, he's not implying. He's not even talking about sinfulness. Not implying any sin here. He's just talking about a difference in origin, a difference in nature. Jesus is from above. John the Baptist and every other human being, all of us, are of the earth and earthly. So, Jesus must increase. John the Baptist must decrease. Jesus must increase. Skip must decrease. You know, and whoever's name you want to put there. It is all about exalting Jesus and Him uh, being shown to be superior. So He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth, and speaks in an earthly way. That's interesting too, because as you move through the Gospels, I mean, you, you may read like you may read that phrase right there and kind of wonder what, what's, what's he talking about there? You know, does does uh, Jesus didn't come speaking a different language. They understood what he was saying. Well, he spoke the common language, but he he definitely uh, had a different manner of speaking nonetheless, didn't he? And they they even said that at times. Nobody ever spoke like this before. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks in an earthly manner. We're limited. We're of the earth, we're earthly, we're limited, we're limited in wisdom, power, you name it, intelligence, but he who comes from above is above all. And the evangelist goes on to say in verse 32, he bears witness, that is Jesus bears witness to what he has seen and heard. Now what he's what he's saying is, here what he's going to say. Is that he comes bearing true witness about heavenly things, where John can't do that from experience, you know. And I mean, God, God did enable prophets to speak of things that, uh, you know, heavenly things at times, but it was even then limited. They weren't speaking of things they had experienced, seen, and heard. So he's drawing this contrast: he who's of the earth is earthly. John the Baptist fits in that category, just like you and I do. And he's limited in his wisdom and knowledge, and understanding. But he who is from above speaks from experience when it comes to these things. So his testimony is true. Again, verse 32. He bears witness, our testimony, to what he has seen and heard. Remember back in, let's back up just a little bit here. Um, This is what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. If you look back in verse 9, when He's speaking of the new birth, Nicodemus says to Him in verse 9, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen but you do not receive our testimony. Now you go back to verse 32. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. So, so John is just reiterating what he has already uh, accounted for us, uh, recorded for us in verse 11. The words of Jesus. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. And then in verse 13, no one... Has, descend, has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. So, he's the only one who is from above who speaks with first-hand experience of what he has seen and heard in, in terms of heavenly things. And, and by the way, I think the only reason Jesus uses the plural pronoun there, the collective pronoun, is because that's what Nicodemus was doing. He's just answering back. Nicodemus comes to him and says... Um, in verse 2, as far as we know, he's by himself here, but he says in verse 2, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. We, we know that you're a teacher come from God. Instead of just saying, I know. And Jesus speaks back to him in the same manner and says, well, we speak of heavenly things. We bear witness of what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. So, verse 32. Verse 32. Again, John is saying, uh, reiterating that, he, he, he testifies of what he has seen and heard, no one receives his testimony." And that's a generalization uh, in, in both places. In verse um, verse 11, "You do not receive our testimony." but then he goes on to say, in verse uh, uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to, have to back up a little more, in chapter one of. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 13, he talks about those who receive receive him. So it's not that every single person does not receive him, but generally speaking, um, he was rejected. Light came into the world, but men loved darkness. Same thing here. Um, he bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. But then he qualifies that in verse 33. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. So it's not again, it's not that every single person has not received his testimony. It's a, it's a generalization. Although it would be true, wouldn't it? If it weren't for God's intervening grace, then it would certainly be true of all of us that we would reject the testimony of Christ. So he's from above where John was of the earth and earthly. So, he's bearing witness... To what he has seen and heard firsthand, he's giving a true testimony um, concerning uh, heavenly things, revelation about God. Now, verse 33 again. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. Now, this is another part of the distinction that the evangelist is making. I may tell you something here tonight, and, and you may... You may sit there, or or maybe when you leave here, or maybe when you're eating dinner later, you say, you know what, I don't think I believe that. I I think he was wrong on that. You can do that without making God a liar. (laughs) If you know what I mean. In other words, I could very well be wrong. But this this is where it's different with Jesus. John is saying to his readers, you do that with Jesus... And you're making God out to be a liar. Because His testimony is 100% accurate. It is absolutely true. In other words, when Jesus speaks, it's, it's the voice of God. With all of the authority of God. He's from above and He's above all. And the Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hands. So when He speaks... It is the very testimony of God. So now, I can say this, even though I may get it wrong, and you may get it wrong, and this is the voice of God. What you read here is God speaking. If I get it wrong, it's because I've strayed away from this. But what you hear here, you you can count on. So, John says, his testimony is true, He's the only one that has ascended. He that ascended is the only one that has descended. And He speaks of what He has seen. And if you receive His testimony, you've set your seal to this, that God is true. In other words, if you believe Jesus, you've believed God. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God for He gives the Spirit without measure. Now, here again is the the contrast. He who is from above and He who is earthly. He, latter part of verse 34, He gives the Spirit, talking about God, the Father. God gives Jesus the Spirit without measure. And the significance is this. The the Old Testament prophets like, from, from John the Baptist on back, and New Testament prophets as well, but at this point, John, John is, is it. He's the, in fact, he's the last, the last Old Testament prophet, John the Baptist. Well, from, from him back, the Spirit of God, God would give His Spirit in measure so that the, the prophet could fulfill whatever his calling was. He was enabled by God with the Spirit of God to do whatever it was He needed to do to fulfill His office of a prophet. But again, it was with measure. In other words, it was limited. What the evangelist is saying here is Jesus has been given the Spirit without measure. Another indication that He is uh, distinct. He's unique. He's from above. What He says, is the very words of God. The Father loves the Son, verse 35. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. So He starts out by saying He's from above and He's above all. And this is uh, another way of saying, uh, making a similar statement. All things have been given into his hand. Now, think about John's purpose statement again for a minute. I write these things, he says, or these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, that is the Anointed One. That's what the word Christ means. Um, that's that's the, the Greek form of the Hebrew word Messiah. And they were promised by God a, a coming Anointed One, a Messiah, a Deliverer. And that's what the, the Jews looked for for centuries. The Jews, the Jews who don't believe in Christ still today um, are thinking that the Messiah is coming. They're not, not believing that they've missed Him so John's saying he wants his readers to believe that Jesus is the anointed one the Christ. So he says here he has been given the spirit without measure. The Father loves the son and again in his purpose statement he says I've written I've written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, that is the anointed one, the Messiah, the one who is anointed with the Spirit, the Son of God. The Son of God. I want you to believe, John says, that He's the Christ and that He's the Son of God. And so that's what he's doing here as we move along in the Gospel. He's laying that out. This, this is the One who stands out. And he's been showing us that little by little by little as, as we go through. Um, for example, chapter 1, he, he compares him to Moses and shows his superiority over Moses. If you look at um, chapter 1, verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because He was before me, For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Now, hear what he says here in verse 17. Chapter 1, verse 17. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So, Moses was the mediator of the law. The law was given through Moses. And notice the language here, it was given. The law was given through Moses. So through Moses we could receive the law. That's how God gave the law. But he says, grace and truth were not given through Jesus Christ, but came through Jesus Christ. So he's the source of not just a mediator in the sense that another human being would be. He's not simply, he is obviously giving us words from God, but he's not not merely telling us what God said, but he himself is God in the flesh and he is showing us God, demonstrating himself God's grace and truth. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. In his first miracle And we talked about this. His superiority is demonstrated. He is the good wine that replaces Judaism. All the purification rites. The whole um, sacrificial system. Jesus is the good wine. What the wine in that miracle points to. We talked about the new birth, the superiority over being born of the temple, uh, born of the, the Spirit rather than the flesh. We talked about the, the temple. Jesus is the true temple, right? He's superior to Solomon's temple. When he tells them, um, destroy this temple and I'll, I'll raise it up in three days. He's talking about his body, the, tr- the true temple. So he's superior. That's what John is saying. That's the case he's making. He's not an ordinary man. He's not even an ordinary prophet. He's superior. He's going to go on to talk about it. He's superior to Moses. Chapter 4, we'll see He's superior to Jacob. Get to chapter 8, you'll see He's superior to Abraham. And it just keeps going. He's superior. Because He's not just a messenger. He is Himself the Gospel. He's the message. He's the One they've all been talking about. He's the One of all the messengers have been talking about and pointing to. So, he comes to this in verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Now, that's what John said he wanted. I've written these things so that you may believe, and so that believing, you may have life. Okay, John, how, how how does that come about? Well, he says here, if you believe in the Son, you have eternal life. The tense of the verb there is present. It's is having. Whoever believes in the Son is having eternal life. There's no life apart from the Son. S-O-N. There's no life without faith in Jesus Christ. Believing. Whoever believes. Whoever believes in the Son, is having life. And he'll say later in his epistle, that is, John, the evangelist will say later in his first epistle, whoever has the Son has life. And if you don't have the Son, you don't have life. That sounds so radical to the world, doesn't it? You tell me that I'm not living Are you telling me that my religion isn't just as good as your religion? Well, in love. I mean, hopefully, we we say it in love, but yes, that's what we're saying. There's there's one way to have life. It's through faith in Jesus Christ. Whoever is believing is having life. Now, then he goes on to say it this way. Same thing, another said another way, but he's saying the same thing uh, in, in, uh, in, in negative form. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. Now, a couple things here. So, whoever believes, that is, you have faith, you have life. But whoever does not obey shall not see life. So you don't obey, you don't have life. You believe, you have life. You don't obey, you don't have life. Notice he's using believe and obey interchangeably. This is not unique in the New Testament. Watch for it as you read. Hebrews 3 and 4, for example, says that the children of Israel in the wilderness could not enter in to the promised land because of their unbelief. And then in that very same context, but then just a few verses, it says, they could not enter in because of their disobedience. It uses the two interchangeably. Jesus said, you're my disciples, and this will be in chapter 8. If you continue in my word, if you continue in my word, you're my disciples indeed. That means in truth, genuine, genuinely. If you continue in my word, then you really are my disciples. And you'll know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Well, the negative implication there is, if you don't continue in My Word, then you're not really My disciple, no matter what you say. And you won't be free from sin. Now, this is a huge, huge stumbling block for a lot of people. Huge. Because in our culture, we've got this idea that just saying, professing, is enough. And there are probably millions, guessing, of course, I've not done a scientific survey, but probably millions of Christians out there in America who think they are Christians because they profess to be. And they don't concern themselves with obedience to Jesus. Except on that one point. I mean, if you you say, well, you've got to believe on the Lord. They say, oh, I believe. Oh, I believe. And Jesus said to the Jews, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do the things that I say? You see what he's saying There's, there's, there's an inconsistency, inconsistency there. It, just, it, it, it doesn't mesh. How do you call somebody Lord and not obey them? So whoever believes in the Son has life. And that's the same as to say, whoever obeys the Son has life, is experiencing life. Whoever does not obey is the same as to say, They really don't believe. They really don't believe. Matter of fact, we we saw, I think, what is a uh, an example of this. Um, Go back just for a minute to chapter two, and here it doesn't spell it out this clearly, but I, I think, well. It it does say, it does does indicate that Jesus knows their heart. I think that's what's going on here. Chapter 2, verse 23. When He was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in His name when they saw the signs that He was doing. Boy, that sounds so good. Revival happening. Many believed in His name. But, verse 24, Jesus on His part did not entrust Himself to them because He knew all people. In other words, they weren't pulling the wool over His eyes. They didn't really believe. So He did not entrust Himself to them because He knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for He Himself knew what was in man. He knows the heart. So we can say all kinds of things, but we can't fool Him. And saying is not enough. There has to be genuine faith. And genuine faith includes obeying, not just saying. So again, John 3.36. Whoever believes in the Son is having eternal life. Present tense there. You believe in the Son. That is, you really genuinely believe in Him. You obey Him. You have eternal life. You're following Him. You have eternal life. You've been born again. And by the way, I think that's another part of what's going on here. He's, he's spelling out a little bit of what it means to be born again. He's talked about the new birth earlier in the chapter. And how you can't can't discern it all and you can't control it, certainly, but you can see the effects. You know, the wind blows and you see the effects of it. It moves things. It makes things happen. It changes things. Rearranges. (laughs) So he's kind of spelling that out. When the wind of the Holy Spirit genuinely blows in the life of an individual, They come into an obedience to Jesus Christ. So whoever believes in the Son is having eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. Now, think again about Jesus' words concerning the new new birth or the birth from above. He says, unless a man is born again, he cannot see kingdom of god that's verse 3 unless one is born again he cannot see the kingdom of god that is without the new birth without being born from above you really don't have any perception of the kingdom of god now he's he's telling this to one of the most highly esteemed teachers in Judaism, in this period, in Jerusalem, in Israel, he calls him the. He, he refers to Nicodemus as the teacher of Israel, and he's and he's and he's telling him, you don't you don't see the kingdom of God because you've not been born again. If you've been born again, you would understand what I'm talking about here. But I I, I can't even I speak to you about earthly things and you don't believe. So how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? So, Jesus says to Nicodemus, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom. Now, that's what John is saying here. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. That is, you'll never have any real perception of it. You'll never experience it. Remember, when he's talking about Jesus being from above and testifying, he says he speaks of what he has seen and heard. Experiential knowledge. If you don't obey the Son, you have no experiential knowledge with eternal life. No perception of it. No grasp of it. No experience with it. But, now here's the rest of the statement. In fact, let me read the whole verse again. Verse 36, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life or is having eternal life. I'm making a point of that for a reason. Um, That's a present tense verb. Whoever believes in the Son is having eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And again, it's a present tense verb. The wrath of God is remaining on him. Him. So there's the contrast John is making. Those who believe and obey have eternal life. They are having eternal life. It's already begun. It began with a new birth when you're born again. And those who don't believe and again, it's interesting the way that he puts it here because he doesn't even use that word. He uses the word obey. So he just makes it stronger. in case you could you, Because it's so easy. So many people say, oh, I believe, I believe. Well, he says, whoever does not obey shall not see life, but the wrath of God is remaining on him. Sounds familiar too, doesn't it? You think about verse 17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. The wrath of God is remaining on Him. So, John's... Pretty emphatic. The evangelist is pretty emphatic. That this is the one. He says, I write, I've written these things to you so so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. Not one way, not a way. The way. The only way. And John says, so that by believing or through believing on His name, you may have life. And again, the idea is there's not, he's, he's not one of ten ways to have life. He's not one of two hundred ways to have life. He is the life. He says in 14.6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So, so how are you going to find life somewhere else when He is the life? There's no life. Apart from Jesus Christ, there's no life apart from belief in Jesus Christ. There's no life apart from obeying Jesus Christ. In Him is life. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for Your Word and Lord that You've chosen in Your. Goodness and great mercy to reveal these things to us, to give us revelation concerning yourself, to make yourself known to people in utter darkness. Lord, thank you for shining on our hearts, and I do pray, Lord. If there's anyone in this room tonight who does not know You in truth, who may be at present in a state of unbelief, disobedience, Lord, we ask that You intervene by Your power. Change hearts. Bring them to the saving knowledge of the only way, the truth, the life. Jesus. May it be for your glory, we pray, in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.